You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and if this is your first time joining in, so happy to have you here. If you've been here since the beginning, thanks for coming back. This is a really wonderful conversation I had with Judith Lindbergh. Judith is the author of a book that is coming out in a bit of a of a while from now. It's called Acmeral, but that is not what we discussed today. Judith is also the creator of the Writer Circle, which is a really phenomenal creative writing community. Uh, they build out workshops, both in person and online for people who are in the writing community, who have been writing for years and years and years, or have never written even a poem or a story and they want to try. It is for all ages. It is extremely inclusive and it really tears down those gatekeepy walls that people can feel about uh, the writing community. And so in this discussion, we talk about the creation of the writer circle, what creative writing really has meant to this community, and you know how it got started. And how it really got started was her discussions with a number of young children about being creative and not setting boundaries on yourself and just learning how to build out stories. So in keeping with the theme of recent episodes, this discussion is all about just those different ways that stories can come from anywhere. So I think you'll really, really enjoy this discussion. Uh, before we get into that, I want to remind everybody, you can always email me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com and give you book recommendations. If you leave a five-star rating or review, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, you can also send me the things that you are passionate about. I love seeing all of the responses that you've sent in so far. Uh, as a reminder, I give out a randomized bookshop.org gift card at the end of every month to one random person who sends me an email with their passions. Again, it's just something that I'm really, really loving reading. So thank you all who have done that already. And thank you all in advance for anyone who will do it moving forward. Um, there is something that I would, something, there's a book that I would like to tell you guys all about before we get into this. And my book recommendation for this week is actually going to be Red Rising by Pierce Brown. The Red Rising series is very, very popular. It came out a while back. I believe there's like six games now. It is honestly really perfect for anyone who loves it. It came out around the time of like Ender of uh, the Hunger Games. So like the, the way that it was promoted was like for fans of the Hunger Games or, uh, you know, Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. But really, it is this really phenomenally interesting fantasy slash sci-fi, I guess it's more science fiction for sure. Um, but it is a story. The first book is set on Mars and it's this kind of intersperse of this caste system and this legendary institute that kind of provides the caste system for all of these different characters. And our main character, Darrow, is um, what is known uh, kind of uh, very, very close to basically a slave. Like they live under the ground. They are toiling, trying to make Mars a livable and sustainable place for people to live for future generations. Uh, and the twists in this book are just incredible. I really think you're going to love it. And yeah, so that is uh, Red Rising. It's a perfect book for the end of the year because it is a series. If you have, like me, some time off coming up for the winter holidays, you can dive into the Red Rising books really cozy up by a fire with a nice mug of tea or coffee or eggnog and enjoy Red Rising by Pierce Brown. Um, okay, that is all the housekeeping for me. 
Again, I am so excited for you to hear everything about the Writer's Circle from Judith Lindbergh. I will put links in the show notes if you are interested in checking out some of their workshops and classes. Really interesting stuff. You can learn all about their instructors, any events that they're doing. Yeah, highly recommend it. So I hope you enjoy this discussion with Judith Lindbergh on passions and prologues. Okay, Judith, kick us off by letting me know what is the thing you're super passionate about that we're going to discuss today? I am super passionate about creativity mm-hmm. in all its incarnations. Um, I, I mean, I'm here because of the writer's circle in writing, but actually my life has always been based in creativity. I mm-hmm. started my professional career as a dancer and I did that for about seven years and um, thought I would do that for my whole life, but dance doesn't work that way. <laughs> Not even a little. And then I was an actor for several years in New York City, which was more challenging because my life was filled with dance credits and theater. You know, they're like, oh, you want to do Shakespeare, but you can do pirouettes. I don't understand. (laughs) Um, And then I started writing. And um, writing was the wonderful thing about writing is that you can do it anywhere. And you don't need someone to hire you to do it. You can just pick up a piece of paper and a pen. You can be in the woods or you can be, you know, sneaking writing on your at your desk when you're in an office job, which has happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you can own it. It can be yours no matter what. And mm-hmm. I felt like, wow, that was really a different experience when I started writing basically on the job. <laughs> and and I, I found myself, you know, discovering the power of being able to be creative without anybody else needing me to do it for them. I really love that. And because you're absolutely right. It's it's along the same lines as one of my passions in, in addition to writing is running. I love running. And there's this concept about it that I've always enjoyed where it's like, if I have a pair of shoes, I can go do the thing I love. I don't, like you said, if from a sports standpoint, like I don't need a team. I don't need a ball. I don't need a hoop. I don't need anything. I, mm-hmm. I have a pair of shoes. I can go do this. Mm-hmm. And I I think where I want to start is you mentioned being a dancer and then getting into acting. Like the nice thing about writing, like you said, you, once you start, you can, you're, you're writing, you're mm-hmm. a writer technically. So, you know, how does one go from, okay, I, I want to begin writing and then I kind of having it blossom out into a very integral part of your life. So like, how did you go from, I'm going to start writing to it's something that I'm going to spend a lot of time with? Well, going back to those, you know, clandestine typing opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in when I was doing that, I started by writing to all my friends. And this is mm-hmm. a while ago. And there were actually letters with stamps and envelopes, the whole deal. And I would write letters to my friends and I would um, go on for pages and pages. And then I'd run out of all the friends that I had not written to recently. <laughs> and so I started writing poetry and I started writing little stories. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of fun. It likes, it keeps me busy while I'm, you know, sitting here being bored. And um, honestly, one of the stories kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And I was like, oh, what is this? I think I'm writing a novel. And I had no expectation. There was no, you know, that was not the plan. I was not setting out to make this new career change, literally. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sort of kept following that crazy track until I wrote a novel and took 
quite a few years and it was a terrible novel and it never got published. And I'm very grateful mm-hmm. <laughs> that it never got published, but I learned how to write. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of like all of a sudden an idea for me just blossomed. It's, you know, it's so interesting because I have, I've interviewed hundreds of authors and I always, I used to wonder years and years ago before I started pursuing becoming a published author myself, like that was the part where I always was like, how do you find an idea that you want to stick with so for so long? And I ended up wrote 80,000 words of a manuscript and abandoned it because thankfully 80, I also... 80,000 words, but I realized kind of like what you said about like, you finished a novel and you're like, this is not good. This is not, that was, I kind of realized that before I'd fully finished it. And then, um, then I started working on a second one and I, I loved it and I finished it and I'm querying it now. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like it is one of those things where people, actually my, my mom who listens to this, I'm sure she'll hear this. She <laughs> read my completed book. And she's like, how do you have ideas like this in your brain? How do you have all this in your brain? And I so I was like, well, honestly, I don't have all of it in my brain at once. It's like, that morning's 1200 words I had in my brain it then figured out from there so yeah it's yeah I know I definitely know what you mean about like oh I just kept going and going yeah exactly and you don't have it all in your brain I mean honestly it, it 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 the story tells you what it wants to do a lot of the time although I have to say that first novel and I'm a very OCD kind of person. I organize mm-hmm. everything and everything has to be planned. Back then, I'm much looser now. And I outlined, when I figured out that I was writing a novel, I said, okay, wait, stop, figure out what this book is. And mm-hmm. I outlined the whole thing. Like, yeah. like almost down to the scene. It was obscene, the, the, the crazy thing I did. And then I would go and I was like, okay, now I know what the novel is. I'm going to write the next, cha- the first chapter, the next chapter. Mm-hmm. And I'd write and the book and it would do things that I hadn't planned. And I'm like, wait a second. And then I'd go back and I'd revise the outline. And mm-hmm. what an idiot. <laughs> and I spent so much time, but I was literally understanding the process through this sort of it wants to do what it wants to do. And you mm-hmm. have to listen to it. And then I over many years, and I've written four novels now and to, you know, anyway, the thing I've learned is you do need those guideposts. Mm. You need those anchors along the way. And then you, but you don't need an outline. Like if you detail mm-hmm. outline, I think you just sort of strangle your creativity. So when I teach, I, I often teach kids on, a fl- on the floor and we have this crazy multicolored rug. And I'm like, okay, on the crazy cr- multicolored rug over here in this flower is the place that the story begins. And over here on this, you know, tree on the rug, there, that's where the story is going to end. And there's all these other spots on the rug that you know you have to get to, but you don't have a road. And the road is what you're going to figure out while you're writing. And I yeah. find that that's a much better approach than, you know, what I that, used to. Yeah, well, because I feel like when you're sitting, you know, when, at least for me, it's like when I couldn't sleep in the middle of the night, I'm not thinking, like you said, I'm not thinking like these two characters interact and have this conversation for two pages. And No, it's like you think about these big like tent poles that you need yeah. to get to. Yeah. And then when you, you know, wake up in the morning or when you sit down to write, you do, like you said, you, it's, you write the journey and you, if you amble and you wander around, like you can tighten it up after the fact, but you just yeah. have to get from point A to point B eventually. And and so, you know, speaking of point A to point B, how does one go from wanting to write, wanting to be creative, starting to write, to creating your own writing community, the writer's <laughs> circle, which we're going to get into? So like, how does one go from, from that point to point B? 
Okay. So first novel, terrible, didn't get published, thank the universe. Second novel, many years, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work did get published and Mm -hmm. rather spectacularly at the time. Um, So I got um, this really lovely um, editor at Viking who took on my book and um, did a wonderful job with it. And um, also the advance was enough that I could quit the job that I was clandestine writing at. (laughs) And um, so that uh, was uh, really freeing because I could get out of the day job sort of cycle. And it went on for quite a few years. But because I'm a slow, careful writer and tend to write historical fiction, which requires a great deal of research. Mm-hmm. I'm not kind of popping out a book every year and a half. <laughs> so um, eventually the advance ran out and I said, oh dear, I have to make a living. Mm-hmm. And at the time um, my kids were little and I was at home and I didn't want to have to commute back into New York City, which is where I used to work. And I said, hmm, what can I do that'll keep me close to home and keep me involved in writing mm-hmm. and still, you know, make a little bit of money? So I, I had already been working um, once a week, teaching a class at a local community school for adults, mostly because I was desperate to talk to other adults about something other than where to get great deals on diapers. Sure. <laughs> so um, it was just sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm leaving the house for two hours. So I'll see you guys later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought, but th- at, the, at the same time, m- my kids were growing into very active young children. And there was a lot of imaginative play in my house. I was a kind of mom that let her kids wear costumes everywhere, no matter what time of day or year. And see, I don't think it's weird either. I have nieces nieces and nephews. Many of them have worn the same, uh, you know, princess dresses and things like that everywhere they go or yeah yeah, my absolutely 100 percent fully support this yeah so so we had uh knights in shining armor and we were superheroes and we just walk around town and and all the kids would come into the backyard and play these crazy games and and then school came along and my kids started to get the homework assignments that required them to follow instructions so one Mm. of these is um one of my sons came home with a an instruction to write an essay. And the first sentence had to have very specific information. And the second sentence had to have some other specific. And it was sort of like a fill in the blanks thing. And mm-hmm. I said, this is a writing assignment. It's not, this is not how writers think. This is not how writers work. And it's right. not asking for any inquiry. It's not asking for any creativity of thought or, you know, engagement. And I talked to a lot of his friends and his parents, his friends' parents, and they all said, yeah, my kids hated writing once they got to school. When they were little, they loved it and they make up stories and draw pictures. Mm -hmm. And then they got to school and they're like, I can't do this. I have to do it their way. And I said, oh, I can fix this. So I took the crazy kids in the backyard and I sat them down on the floor in, uh, in, in, in my house, or I, eventually I rented a little space nearby. And I said, we're going to take all those crazy adventures you're having in the backyard as superheroes and knights in shining armor. We're going to write the story. Mm-hmm. And that was how the writer's circle started. Because I, I wanted to teach them how to be creative. See, you are the right kind of teacher. This is fantastic. I, you're absolutely, It's the same thing of like, why don't, kids like to read it's because you're handing a 12 year old 
you know, the Canterbury Tales as opposed to like a Jason Reynolds novel. Like let them read what they want to read. Let them write the stories they want to write. And instead of, I, I understand why it's important to learn how to write a research paper eventually and like eventually. how to cite things. Exactly. But to structure a young kid's mind, like the expansion of like, you should write stories. I'm getting on a soapbox in agreement <laughs> with you here. It's like, you should write stories that expand your worldview, not like narrow them to, well, this is the way that F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote his. So you, you, yeah. an eight-year-old needs to focus. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, also there's so much emphasis on, you know, f- argumentative writing or, you know, v- you know, various academic requests mm-hmm. and kids want to write about explosions and mermaids and, and, you know, magic and dragons. And they, mm-hmm. so, so with the kids, I, in fact, the writer's circle has this freedom of expression policy mm-hmm. that all the parents sign when they sign up, you know, when you fill out the forms. And we let our kids write about anything that they want to. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's what schools would call inappropriate or if it's, you know, scatological or if it's, you know, it's, because you're right. You don't want to box their little brains in. They're so mm-hmm. creative and they're so open to everything. And we just, you know, keep shoving them down this narrow path of you have to be this way to function in life. Life functioning happens all by itself. Right. And when you give kids permission to express their own thoughts and their own ideas, even if they, you know, a lot of the time with the little kids, the stories don't make any sense at all. And I spend a lot of time critiquing saying, why did your character do that? What were they thinking? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and eventually they can verbalize. And I'm like, okay, we need to get all that on the page because you completely skipped that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they really do. They have great imaginations. They are so curious. And if we just invite curiosity, we can get them to write. Mm-hmm. So walk me through expanding the writer's circle beyond that <laughs> first yeah. group of, of little ones writing yeah. whatever's in their minds. Exactly. So it did start with kids because that was kind of where my brain was at. I had mm-hmm. little kids. So therefore everyone was focusing on little kids. But about a year in, and I was still teaching that once a week class, yeah. about a year in um, a woman I really didn't know named Michelle Cameron, who lives nearby, but um, she was an author that I knew through um, a variety of different organizations. And she called me and said, I want to hear about the writer's circle because I'm kind of looking for something like that myself. And mm-hmm. so we got together and had a conversation and she's, uh, she was a very clear right away. She said, I want to be your partner. And I'm like, I just met you. Slow down. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down. But Within 15 minutes of leaving our first meeting, she had found a location near where she was to hold classes for the writer's circle in her area. And our whole Mm -hmm. idea was you want a little outlet here and a little outlet there and all the local writers can teach like 10 minutes from their house and it'll be much better for us to be able to do what we need to do and still teach. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want everyone, you know, commuting and going through that whole thing. And so Michelle started working with us and with me there was no us at that time. And, uh, and teaching some kids' classes. And she said pretty quickly, she's like, 
there's more adult market than you think. And I said, mm. no, no, no. Nobody spends money on themselves. They all just spend them on their kids. They don't have time. <laughs> Clearly, I'm reflecting my perspective on this. Mm -hmm. And so she and I started thinking about bringing on more teachers and teaching more adult classes. And mm. in fact, it completely blew up into this massive thing. I had no plan. I thought, oh, I'll just teach until I sell my next book. Ha ha ha. You know? And it blew up all by itself through no, you know, intention of our own. We had no marketing planning. We had no business plan. We're just like, mm -hmm. oh, this interesting person, let's go meet them for lunch. Oh yeah. You want to teach? Let's. And one of the things about the writing circle is everybody who teaches for us is a published author. Mm-hmm whether they are publishing essays and short stories and poetry, or if they are lucky enough to have had a, you know, big five traditional book published like me and Michelle, um, whatever we bring to our work as teachers is from experience. Mm -hmm. And um, in fact, often we have uh, people who have education and teacher background, but no publishing, they come to us and we're like, thank you, but that's not what we're looking for. We really mm -hmm. want writers who understand what writing's about. And we really look for creativity. And we also look for generosity of spirit. Mm -hmm. That was the part I was going to ask about, because I assume in chatting with you, like I, I can feel the importance of, like, like we were talking about before, like not hindering creativity and the importance of having writing be seen as an open space without gatekeepers. And so mm -hmm. I imagine you need to be looking for very, not specific, but certain types of authors, because mm -hmm. there are certainly published authors out there. And I won't name names to be me, but like, there are some published authors where they're just like, anything they say about the writing process, it's like, oh my God, you are, <laughs> just stop it. It's not some... Like there's not some muse that comes to you at four in the morning exclusively and you write by candlelight with a quill. Like it's it's not <laughs> exclusive of that. So I imagine you're looking for specific yes. types of people who have that open mind, right? Yeah, exactly. I know exactly what you mean. And I I know some people like that and I mm -hmm. admire their their um you know, it's their fortitude to work that way. But we are looking for kind of the diametric opposite. We want yeah. people who are loving and warm and embracing. We are a non-exclusive environment. Anyone who wants to take a class can come. We want our teachers to, I want everyone to fall in love with their students. And I want all the students to fall in love with their teachers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not everybody who comes to a writing class is going to publish or should publish or wants to publish. And that is not the goal. The goal is self-expression and mm -hmm. discovering that you have something to say and maybe a really fun and interesting way to say it and to just learn the joy of creativity. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there, uh, our, our method, if there is a method, is um, to bring the best out of every, every student you have. Mm-hmm. And that best is just unique to each person and each, whether it's a little kid who, you know, barely can get words on the page or, you know, an adult who publishes regularly. And we have people who are doing amazing things after we've been in business for 13 years. So I hope we have something to show for it after all this time. <laughs> but there are people out there with novels and, and lots of short stories and, you know, regular gigs at uh, various news outlets or publishing outlets. So. Mm -hmm people who are winning prizes and all the rest. And I'll put the link to the Writer's Circle website so that you guys can go see it and you can 
Because there are, I think the thing that I love about your website is if you go to look at the workshops and then like they're broken out by age, but then they're also broken out. Like when, when I'm, I want people to understand the scope of like, Judith, you're being very modest, but like, I want people to understand the scope of like, if you go to the workshops, it's not like, oh, we have an adult class with 10 people that get together once a month. Like, no, no, no. Like there's, there's stuff for exploring memoir. There's stuff for poetry. There's science fiction. There's like all these different ages, like where to begin. There's all of these incredible courses and layouts and so i'm wondering like is how this is a terrible question like how do you go about determining like what a course can look like like is it entirely up to the the teacher i how do you because it's almost like you've basically created a both virtual and in-person like secondary like university type of a <laughs> concept here so like how do you go about I don't know, like vetting the courses and looking at that type of stuff if that makes sense it does it does and we're honestly very open we when we do our interviews in our teacher you know engagement we tell them right up front we want you to bring your creativity to this class we want you to if you want material we have countless you know, curricula and exercises and prompts and materials mm-hmm. all over the place. But if you have always wanted to teach and you you know you want to teach this way and have this kind of approach, bring it to the class. And as, as long as it's presented with love and, and affection and um, not, we always are like, you don't criticize, you critique. Mm-hmm. And critique is a very different thing. It's a it's an invitation to dig deeper and to find mm. richness where you know it's just under the surface. The other last month, for some reason, I was like, you got to dig into your pockets and find those things that you can pull out of the story that you don't really realize are there. And so we're always looking for this richness of generosity. And in the course curriculum, you know, I mean, yes, for the little kids classes, we have a bunch of things that we say, okay, these really work. We do, with the kids, we do crazy things like um, alien archaeology, which is I go into my kitchen in my various places and I find like whisks and weird things that nobody remembers what they're for. And I put Mm. them in a box and I say, you're an archaeologist and you've just landed on an alien planet and you don't know what a stuff is. So you mm-hmm. have to figure out what this culture and these pe- this species was and what they did with all this stuff. Yeah. And then they go wild and they're, you know, shaking the whisk like it's some sort of an instrument. It's really fun. And with our adults, um, it's not, you know, wild and crazy like that, but it's very open-ended. I teach um, a memoir class on Thursday nights that I love with these people. And everybody's coming in with lots of stories. And you don't mm-hmm. take a memoir class in your ha- unless you've, got something that's <laughs> yeah. happened in your life. Yeah. And, you know, you want to be really gentle because we're dealing with very emotional, mm. personal things. So you you have to draw them out in gentle ways. Today I'm doing a work, um, my workshop this evening is about um, music. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm sure you saw the news that Christy McVie passed from Fleetwood Mac. I did. And so, you know, I'm of the age that I was little, but I was listening to the Rumors album. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, just putting on that album, which I did this this morning on Spotify. I said, oh, wow, I am now a kid again. Mm -hmm. And I am that child. How can I help my memoir students come to that same realization? What's music might 
trigger that kind of experience for them. For my class, I develop curriculum. Michelle develops her own curriculum for her classes. Everybody comes in with their own objectives. We want, we give only enough guidance as the teacher needs. If -hmm. they have a student who needs particular help and they want to talk to us, that always is what we're there for. But we don't have a rubric. We don't have a, a, a a goal other than that each student grows across the course's length of time. Mm-hmm. And some students stay with us for one class, you know, one session, and then they're gone. And other people I've known since I started this. In fact, one of my students on my one of my classes just this week brought out a story that I remembered from a while back. And he's like, yeah, this one I wrote in 2012. Oh <laughs> I'm like, That's oh, wild. I remember. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. We'll be back with more Passions and Prologues after this break. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And now, back to Passions and Prologues. I'm curious. So obviously, like like I said, it, 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 when people go and, and the links in the show notes, like when people go to look at the different workshops, there's very, you know, there's things that are a little bit more focused, like I said, in, in specific genres or mm-hmm. things like that. But something that I really love at the very top of the page is where do I begin? And the reason that I love that so much is because I think about, there's so many people out there who like, they're not even ready to say like, okay, well, yeah, I want to be in a science fiction workshop. They're just like, there's just people who say like, well, I wish I wrote more, but I don't know how to get started. And I will say like, for me, the thing I I struggle with is every day that I write, it makes it easier for me to write the next day. And so I just have to get into that habit forming. Like I said, when I wrote my, when I wrote the novel that I'm querying, I wrote every single day for, I don't know, it was five months and it was done. And like, that was it. And so and then I said, I took a little break and edited it and all that fun right. stuff and do the querying process. And it's like, I've gotten away from writing every single day. So now every day when I wake up in the morning to try and write, it is more challenging for me because I am not writing the day before. So yeah. that's like my thing is I just say like the easiest way to write every day is to write every day. The other piece of advice that I really, really love is strangely from Seth Rogen, the actor and comedian. And, yeah. But he's also a screenwriter. He writes the majority of the movies that he's in. And he has a whole publication house at this point. But like his thing that he always tells people about writing, he's like, write 100 ideas down. And he goes, they can be absolutely terrible, but write 100 ideas down. And he goes, because what you're doing is you're dispelling the notion that writing needs to be some like precious thing. Because like, if you write 100 ideas down, they're almost all going to be awful. But yeah. you're writing, you're doing something where you're putting things on the page. And so like, those are two things that I think of where I try to write every day. I try not to care so much about what I'm writing because the longer I, I keep from writing, the more it does feel precious to me and like holier than now. So yep. this is all to say, is there something for you that you think about or that you tell people when they say like, well, how do I get started? Is there like a, a, a you know, journey of a thousand miles starts the first step. Like, is there a first step that you tell your students in the writing process? Yeah, it's very similar. In fact, I like that idea of writing a hundred ideas. 
One of the first exercises I do in Where Do I Begin is I have a bag of words. Mm. And this is an exercise, actually. One of my very first writing teachers was Madeline Langle, who wrote A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Madeline Langle. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, so anyway, yeah, she really was the one, one of the very first people who I ever studied with. And the, one of the early classes, she passed around. It was a bowl of words that were cut out in little strips of paper. And everyone closed their eyes and picked three. And it didn't matter mm-hmm. which three. And you couldn't put them back. You had to just take whatever three you have. And each of us looked at our three words. We didn't tell anyone what they were. And we had to use those three words in whatever it was that we were writing in the 10 or 15 minutes she gave us in class. Mm -hmm. And I still do this today. It's like the words don't have to be what the story is about, unless you want that to be. They just mm-hmm. have to show up somewhere. And if you have to change the grammatical structure of the word to make it fit into how you're using it, you can do that. But what happens when you pick those three words is your brain makes these subconscious connections. You know, if it was apple, candle, and coughing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You could do something with that. Yeah. Yeah. So so your your mind subconsciously connects those words and creates a setting and a relationship. And it's that that subconsciousness that Mm. starts to breathe onto the page. And I also do the whole thing of um, Natalie Goldberg writing down the bones where she's like, keep writing. I have my very favorite pen. It's like a, it's a uniball sing, sing no little Mm -hmm. micro. And she's like, write with really fast paper, on a, um, and a really fast pen, or in my case, if you're using the computer, type really fast and don't correct your spelling. Don't cross anything out. Just type, 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 type. No editing, no critiquing. Shut the editor off. And all of a sudden, all this stuff starts flowing. And one of the things, uh, Natalie Goldberg's, uh, a quote I use from her is, um, writing practice is the whole ocean mm. and everything that's in it. Writing craft is directing that water into a canal and making it go a certain way. So when you're beginning, you need to work in that ocean. You need to just Mm -hmm. float around and let things toss you here and there and things drift by and not critique and not say, I'm going to write a novel. Mm -hmm. Even though I did that in the beginning, stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But you, you really, because by... Allowing yourself to be less judgmental, less demanding, and less um, the way we're taught in school. You have to fulfill this assignment and hit mm-hmm. all these you know, requirements to get a good grade. That chokes you up and leaves out all the possibilities mm-hmm. that your subconscious can bring to the service when you start writing that whole ocean. Yeah. And then eventually you got this, you know, bunch of, I call it spin on a page. Mm-hmm. So with the little kids, I'll have a notebook and I'll say, okay, pretend, because I want to, yeah. it's disgusting. I'm like, pretend I just spit on this page. Mm-hmm. And I said, now there's this gross glob of spit in the middle of this page. But if you hold it in the sunlight at just the right angle, there's a bubble with a rainbow on top. Mm-hmm. That's what you're looking for when you write all this stuff. Another way to think about it is like, if you are trying to write a story of any length, Mm-hmm. you can't edit and pare down until you have it all on the page. Like you exactly. Just, 
you're going to go back and you're going to change stuff anyway. So don't be so judged. Well, other people are going to probably judge it at some point. Don't be judgmental about yourself in that zero draft. Like just get the words down. Exactly. It's um, the shitty first draft. And yeah, thought. yeah exactly. exactly. And uh, people so- think it's going to come out right the first time. I'm like, no, it, no. it's never going to come. It, that's years of work and editing and revision and, and mm-hmm. polishing and then other editors hopefully if you're lucky come in and help you with it <laughs> you know so along those lines and it, it is a bit out but I do still want to talk because Judith has a book coming out it's in 2024 so we joked that we'll circle back eventually in like a year or two to their year year and a half to talk about it but <laughs> I do want you to kind of talk about, you have a book coming out and I people do. can learn more about it at your website and I'll put the link in the bio there, but Thanks. you know, sort of tell me about the book that you have coming out and how it, it came about. Okay. So um, in order to tell about that book, I should tell a little bit about the first book. Sure. So um, my first novel was The Thrall's Tale and it was published mm-hmm. by Viking and it's about three women in Viking age Greenland in the 10th century. Mm-hmm. And it is very, very, very literary and dark and difficult and beautiful. And I love that book very much. But it was a challenging book. And I think the expectations that it was going to become a big seller were a little overblown. Mm-hmm. So after I wrote that book, I wanted to do a follow-up. And I did. And the book that's coming out now is that follow-up. Mm-hmm. But uh, it took a really, really, really ridiculously long time to get published. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the market changed um, and uh, thing, you know, my editor retired, whom I'm still very good, you know, in touch with and we're friends. And it's nice to have her because she's fantastic. But um, the new book is uh, similarly an obscure location. Mm-hmm. I love um, what I call invincible landscapes and the people that live in them. Yeah. Because um, I always think I could never live that way. And therefore, how do they do it? And it it just makes me go down the rabbit hole of how do they do it? And who are these Mm -hmm. people? And what do they have that I don't? And then all of a sudden, I start to write a novel. Um, So the new book is called Akmaral. Mm -hmm. And the name is Kazakhstani. um, It means white deer. But the book takes place in uh, 500 B.C., It's about an ancient woman, um, a nomad woman warrior on the Central Asian steppes. And it's based in the archaeology that actually has been discovered in that area, um, Kazakhstan, southern Siberia, Mongolia, of these um, burial chambers of women who were, many of them, clearly in battle. They have battle wounds and all, you know, Mm -hmm. they were buried with weapons. and, and, And essentially, they are the the descendants of whom um, of the Amazons who fought mm-hmm. in the Tro- Trojan War. And it's actually historically proven and there's DNA. And don't get me started on the archaeology Amazing. stuff. Yeah. So Akmaral is um, a part of a small clan of warriors that are living in a nomadic setting in this beautiful landscape, which you can see on my website. It's really pretty. And Things happen uh, where <laughs> things happen. That's not good. Um, they, they encounter people who are uh, much more powerful than them. And uh, over time and through the trials of loss and the challenges of war and uh, the understanding of what her loyalties are to her people, she becomes 
the leader of of much greater confederacy. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what it's about. The only problem with this is it sounds so good and it's not coming out I for know. a year and a half. But I know, I know, I know. I know it sounds so wonderful. And I, I love like deeply researched stories like this. And it <laughs> makes me so excited. And honestly, like, I feel like something that people can take away from this is like understanding you as an author being someone who has done so much research for these pieces, these 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 novels, like that's the stuff from like the writer's circle. Like that's stuff that you can, you can learn. Like you can, as long as you're willing to write, as long as you're willing to keep writing and then be willing to do a little bit of research. Like the research for, for novel writing is fun because it's stuff that you're clearly interested in anyway. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that like people should be excited about like taking a workshop because oh, yeah. of how interesting that stuff is. Oh yeah. Well, you know, the rabbit hole of research, especially in historical fiction, it's mm-hmm. it's both fantastic and truly a dangerous place because <laughs> you can end up researching for years and not really get around to the book. But That's but, like my favorite thing yeah. to joke with my author friends about is like, who are historical fiction or like nonfiction writers. I'll be like, so when do you know when to stop? And they're like, I don't, I just start writing and hope I, like, I don't know when to stop researching because I yeah. always want to do more of that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then they find something out about the art, either your area of research after the fact. And you're like, oh no, do I have to change everything? <laughs> so actually the woman who, one of the, there's two burials that my main character, Akmarel, is based on. And, but one of the burials, they recently found out that the, she died not from battle wounds, but from cancer. And mm. I'm like, oh, but it's okay because the other one definitely was a warrior. So I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm just going to ignore that and use that for a talking point. So but, um, but, you know, then I'm like, I could write a whole nother story about the cancer woman. Okay, mm-hmm. do that. No, not this week. <laughs> like, file that away, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so last question. I always end each discussion by having the author give a recommendation of any kind. It could be, it can be a book, it can be a TV show, it could be, um, you know, a place you think people should visit or a mm-hmm. food they should eat. Like anything you want to recommend, the floor is yours. Okay. I am a passionate hiker. And I have a small stretch of the, you know, woods in a park up the hill from me. And almost every day I go out hiking and I only go, you know, three or four miles because I have to get Mm -hmm. back here and get to work. But um, I recommend that everybody, no matter how disinclined, spend some time in nature. And ideally in some place that is less than civilized, as in mm-hmm. not just a park, but like in the woods on a trail, or if you live in the desert, go out into the desert or wherever you live, sit, stand by the ocean. Nature is not just obviously the world around us, but it is where we, are, we come from. We are nature too. And I think that as writers, to still the busy brain of um, all the things we have to do to survive in our lives and to get our work done, you have to step away from the construct that humanity has put on on the world and remember where you come from and listen to the whispers and the leaves and the wind and the trees and the ocean. And you'll find voices speaking to you if you do that on a regular basis. As an avid hiker with my senior dog who's sleeping peacefully <laughs> next to me, I wholeheartedly agree. That's such a perfect one. This was 
So delightful, so informative. Again, as a reminder, everyone, links in the show notes. I'll make sure you're all aware of where you can find the Writer's Circle links. You can go check it out. Judith, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.